Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Amen. Okay, hallelujah. I think we're ready to preach. We're ready to preach. I need about an hour and a half. How many How many's going to have enough? You guys DVR the Lions game. Come on, somebody. Amen. And... Uh, I was praying, Lord, let my grandson and I go to the Super Bowl where the Detroit Lions are going to win, that our faith is tested. Let me tell you single women something. You want to find a, a Christian man, but you also want to find a Lions fan. Let me just tell you that. Because Lions fans are loyal. Come on, somebody. They are loyal. No matter what this record is, they are, you find a Lions fan, you got you a good guy. Amen. Uh, no, so... Um, I've kind of uh, changed my message. I, love, I like to have my message in by Thursday, Friday at the latest. I give it to Felicia. She does our slides and has it prepared for, for media on Friday. So she's not all day Saturday working on that. Gets it to our check-ins, gets it to our media. If I got an outline, Lindsay Markham does our outlines on Friday night. And so it needs to be done by Friday. Uh, and then Saturday, I just pray over this, the message, usually in the afternoon and evening and uh, pray over you, grab our membership list, and as it grows, it takes me a little longer, but I pray for every single one of you. And even those of you that may not be a member, I pray over you as well. We take these services seriously when we pray and ask God to minister. I know our worship team does, and Andrea, you did an outstanding job in leading us with that song today. God bless you. Thank you for that. So we take church a little bit more serious around here. We realize that whenever we gather like this, that God has the potential to change lives. And in this case today, families. And so Friday night, uh, I changed my whole message. Uh, same message, just totally changed it around, shortened it, because obviously I don't have as much time because we did all these wonderful things today. I'm not apologizing for it at all. So I condensed it a little bit. I will have to come back to this because it's just loaded in so many truths. But we've been talking about revival. And so uh, I went to the book of Ezra. So I want you to open your Bibles with me in the book of Ezra. Go ahead and stand. And we're going to go to the only place in the whole Bible where the word revival is at. And it has to do with families. Ezra and Nehemiah are two books telling the same story. Israel's history. How they were taken captive again for 70 years this time to Babylon. And then... God raises up a, sec, a, a king called King Cyrus, who was not a devout follower of God. But yet Ezra and Nehemiah, these two dudes, these two guys, Ezra found favor in the eyes of Cyrus the king. And Cyrus the king says, you know what, I don't follow your God, but I'm not going to hold and oppress you people here anymore. If you want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild your city and worship your God, I'm going to let you do it. In fact, I'm going to give you money to even do that. It's a powerful story, Ezra and Nehemiah. So Ezra was the spiritual revivalist guy. Years later, Nehemiah was the physical guy. Nehemiah was like the book of James in the Old Testament. Nehemiah said, okay, you believe in God? Then pick up that hammer and help us rebuild the wall. That's Nehemiah. There were some people causing trouble in the church later in Nehemiah. He grabbed them by the hair of their head and dragged them out of the church. That was Nehemiah. He he, he was from Ecorse. I really believe he was. I know he had Adidas on. I just know he had it on right there. But Ezra, we're going to look at today more so than than Nehemiah. Ezra was the spiritual Holy Spirit guy. He walked hand in hand with the prophetic. 
He would go and say, Zerubbabel, Haggai, speak to me. What is the Lord saying before we go any further? So Ezra was your spiritual guy. Nehemiah was also saved. He was spiritual, but he was a cupbearer to the king. He, he operated in a different dimension. But this one, we, I want you to realize that there are families today, that this revival were all, was all about families. And so I want to talk about how revival is how God reshapes a family. That's what I want to title this today. Revival is how God reshapes a family. So in Ezra chapter 9, let's read first. The, first, the verse where the, the word revival is in the... In it. There's many revivals in the Bible, but this is the only place the word is in. Chapter 9, verse 8. And now for a little while, this is Ezra praying and thanking God for what he's doing. While grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. So he's just, Ezra's just thanking God for this revival that's happening in his family. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. That's a message. And I was praying over this yesterday. The Lord said, tell somebody that if, that today that if you're struggling in any form of bondage, that God is not going to forsake you. Okay? He did, he's not going to forsake us. But he has revived us. But he has extended mercy to us in the sight of the king of Persia, a secular king, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So that's the verse with revival in it. Now go backwards one more chapter, and this is the verse we're going to push off for just a couple minutes this morning. Chapter 8, verse 21, really shows us Ezra's transparency to his family, which is one of the points today in his how vulnerable he was and how dependent he was upon God. Ezra chapter 8, 21. They've been at this river for three days, not knowing what to do. And then he says in verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. Hear that? Ingredients for revival is again to seek him. There it is again from him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. I need to ask God what to do about my children and our possessions. And we're, we're I need wisdom. Look at verse 22. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. Because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all of those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Ezra said, I done told the king all that, but I'm finding myself at a place where I'm not even sure. Have you ever told somebody that God has a plan and a purpose for their life, but yet inside you wrestle with finding out what God's plan and purpose is for your life? It's Ezra. It's Ezra. I'm a leader, I'm a father, but I don't have all the answers, children. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how to get those answers. In the next verse it says, so we fasted. We entrusted our God. We entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. God's going to answer our prayer. Father, I thank you for your word today, preserving it over all these years for us to read and study and gain insight and direction from today, I pray your blessing upon our time together. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. You may have a seat today.
So with the babies being dedicated today, we're going into holiday season. I'm thinking of families, and so really begin to look into this word and with not letting go, with talking about revival. And so the Lord just gave me this message here today. Um, if I would summarize this whole message into one sentence, it would be this. This is what I'm going to talk about today. This is what I want you to leave knowing this today. That God has a long-term plan for your family. That God has a long-term plan for your family. It's not just about you. Tell that person next to you, it's not all about you. As nice as you can, it's not all about you. It's not God. It's God saved you, and he chose you, and he pulled you out. But God is so big and he's so sovereign. He's already thinking about your children, your grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren. And if he tarries, he's thinking about the next generations to come. He has a plan, whether you do or not. Some of us don't even have a plan of what we're going to eat today. But God has a plan for you and for your family. He has a long-term plan for your families. God is into reshaping. Jesus came to reshape. He came to reshape uh, dead traditionalism and moral impurity, dead religion. He came to reshape that into a renewal, a spiritual renewal and a revival and a relationship with God. He changed the spiritual and religious landscape. Jesus did. The early church changed the whole culture of Rome. And the Bible says they turned the known world upside down. They did that over families. You know, it's interesting, Rome persecuted Christians. We know that. The Colosseums, even to this day, that are still over there in the Mediterranean places. And uh, Miranda and Tyler was there this time last year. They went on their honeymoon, and they did the footsteps of Paul. And they were showing pictures and videos. They still have it over there. I'd love to do that sometime. But I remember having these conversations with Tyler, how he went to Ephesus, and they went to Thessalonica, and they went to these places, uh, and, and, and remnants of the Roman Empire, Empire are still there. And they have plaques on the walls naming Christians who were killed because of their faith as entertainment of the day. That was Rome. They would crucify Christians in the Colosseum during halftime at, to warm up to the big event of the gladiator sport. I mean, it, it's a, it, the Rome, if you do some research and some study on the Roman Empire, Empire, many of us know about it, but really study it, it'll blow your mind, okay? If you were a Christian, you did not want to live in the Roman Empire during the first century. But that's where Jesus set up church. God called him to go right in there. And he did something so powerful that Three, it took 300 years, but 300 years later, the same Rome declared Christianity as its uh, religion. Think about that. How did they do that? Well, Book of Acts tells us they met daily, house to house. They would meet in public worship, but they carried on the spiritual truths about God as families throughout the week. And so... Just to give a little more perspective, I want to ask some questions here today. How many of you are here today that are first-generation Christians? In other words, your parents didn't serve God, but you are. You, you are serving God. You broke the cycle. You started the cycle. First-generation Christians. Amen. God bless you. Awesome. How many are second-generation Christians? Your parents served God, and now you serve God. Amen. Awesome. How many are third-generation uh, Christians, and you can participate online, by the way. So keep your hand up. Your grandparents serve God, your parents serve God, and now you are serving God. Wow. Amen. How many are fourth generation? Is there any fourth here? Wow. God bless you. Awesome. What a legacy. 
Do we have any fifth generation Christians here? Some, Rebecca, Tito, Deepa, wow, amen, amen, which I've heard their story and I need to have you guys back up again for their story of how God impacted their life and brought them to the Lord. Any sixth generation Christians here today? Some of us don't even know sixth generation. <laughs> how many did Ancestry.com? Amen. I did. I'm actually got Scottish in me and uh, English in me. But, and I had a famous uh, grandfather, John Markham, who, uh, but he was a marshal of Nuttingham. Okay, sorry, sorry. Six-generation Christians. We have any six-generation? No. Okay. All right. To give you some perspective, Ezra and Nehemiah impacted their families so much so, Jim, that, are you ready? Fourteen generations later, they were walking with God. We know them as Mary, Joseph, John, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds that we're getting ready to talk about next month is the Christmas story. Those Jewish people that were waiting on God, as Simeon was also waiting on God, Luke tells us, they are to the 14th generation of Ezra and Nehemiah, the story that is encapsulated in these two books. My next question is, as a parent and now a poppy, how did they do it? How many want your children, if the Lord tarries, to be able to be in a house of God, the next generation, and their kids, and their kids? That ought to be every hand up in this place. Well, I want to, first of all, encourage you that are here today that may not have kids right now that looks like they're even close. You don't have to raise your hand for this, but if I would ask you, how many got kids that you would think, they're not even close, Pastor Eddie? Don't raise your hand, but you're probably here. And so you're already tempted to tune out, but I want you to know, that my mom and dad would get up here and tell you that very same thing was about me 25 years ago. The more they prayed for me, the more it seemed like I wasn't interested in the things of God. But today of all days, it's amazing, was the first day that I woke up as a Christian 25 years ago, was November the 6th. I didn't plan on all this. And my wife didn't plan all that. She just wanted to keep me out of the bars and bring the paycheck home and be a responsible father to our daughters. You know, she just wanted me to get saved, not, that, not so saved. Amen. So, <laughs> but God don't do anything halfway. So I want to encourage you in case you got kids that seem like Pastor Eddie, my kids ain't saved, don't give up on them. Did you hear me? God's not going to forsake you or your children in their bondage. It was 70 years that Ezra and Nehemiah were dealing with this, and all of a sudden, a, a secular king, a, non, a pagan king named Cyrus, says, you know what, I'm just going to release you guys and let you go back to Jerusalem, and I'm even going to give you gold and silver. I mean, it's a remarkable story, what God does. There, there, there is nothing impossible for our God. So how did they do that? Just a couple of things this morning. And again, I'll have to come back and talk about this another time because there's so much in these two uh, books and in the story. But first of all, I want you to know that Ezra started with him. He allowed himself to be the starting point for revival. Every revival begins with somebody. Every one of you that had your hands up that said, 
it was maybe your fourth or fifth or sixth generation or you are, you are the first one. Somebody in your family had to break the cycle of sin and begin a new cycle with Jesus. No one is just, you wake up and you're saved. No, no, no. It's like saying you, you've always been married. No, you ain't always been married. You may forget the dates, but your spouse, I guarantee you, does not forget the dates. There was a time and a date for you when you got saved, for, it, 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 when you got married, uh, same way as you got saved. There was a time, you may not remember the day, and that's fine. You may not remember the month or the time of day and all that, like I do, that's fine. But somewhere in your life, you, you have, where you made the decision to say yes to Jesus. We had a couple of men just do that a couple of weeks ago, right here in the altars. Been coming to church, been hearing about the gospel. We have them every week that, that watch and listen and for some reason, they don't receive Christ at the time, and that's fine, because some people are entering into the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. But then there comes a time when you have to define the relationship, when you have to say, are we just going to be dating each other, or are we going to take it to the next level? How I many know what I'm talking about? You have to do that in your natural relationships. You've got to also do it with Christ. When God says, you know, we've been dating, and it's been all right, and sharing the shakes and all that, well, you know, that's cool. But uh, I want to know what kind of commitment do you have with me because I gave you my son and hung on a cross. Are you, are you all in? I mean, there comes that, that moment where the, and for Ezra, it was Ezra. That's all he did was say, you know what? I'm going to prepare my heart to serve God. In Ezra 7, this is how it started. He was a slave. He was in Babylon. But he says, you know what? I'm tired of the same cycle of bondage. I'm tired of seeing my kids deal with the same things that I've dealt with. I'm tired of seeing now my grandkids deal with the same problem that I've had, that my papa and my mama had, and, and the culture is getting a hold of my kids, and I'm tired, and God is going to let us be tired till we're sick and tired till we're sick and tired. Because Ezra said, I've had enough. I want to change for my family. And the scripture says that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord it's all, God said, I've been waiting on that. Ezra was the one that said, I'm going to, from this day forward, things are going to be different. Every revival has a beginning, whether you take the Pentecostal movement in 1901 in America, which started with college students, college students in Topeka, Kansas, that read the book of Acts and got hungry for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and said, man, if this thing is real, let's, let's seek God for it. And so they locked themselves in their dorm, probably the only one seeking God on the dorm on the campus. And one of them, only one out of the group, got filled with the Holy Spirit and revival sparked from Kansas. Just, and they kept the fires going. There was no social media, so this was all word of mouth. And in 1906, God raised up a black man, William Seymour, a one-eyed man, who led one of the greatest interracial revivals that the world has ever seen. 1906, and you had people from every race gathering to Azusa Street in California of all places. One man, every revival that you will ever read and study is started somewhere. Jesus said, I have come to start a fire on the earth and how I wish it was already ignited. Why did he say that? Because the hardest thing about a fire is starting the fire. Isn't it? Unless you get one of them plug-in electric ones. It's hard to start a fire. You've got to have the right elements, the right ingredients, the right everything like that. And for revival and for families to turn around, I'm just telling you today, it just takes one person. 
I, I know Ezra probably had that talk and said, guys, things are going to be different from this day forward. I remember when I got saved, November the 5th yesterday, I got home, I was out of town, I was in Grand Rapids when I got saved and read the Gideon's Bible, was the first Bible I ever opened, and thank God for Gideon's. Is it wrong to steal a Gideon's Bible if they leave it in the hotel room? I'm not sure. Is anyone, oh. It's there, it was for free, and I need it. So, I mean, I mean no, no, I, I didn't steal it, amen, kind of. Anyway, I was reading it, and uh, God spoke to me, and God said, Eddie, I want you to relearn everything you've ever learned before. And I knew what he meant, the David and Goliath stories. He wanted me to relearn. Revelations, Jesus told the church, do your first works over again. You need a fresh start. That's revival. And so I remember coming home, and we had our little house in Melvindale. We had a tiny kitchen. We all sat at the table. I mean, if you wanted some milk, I would, no problem. I grabbed the refrigerator. You know, it was a tiny house, and Felicia and Miranda were three and five, and Melinda and I were sitting there, and I remember having that talk. 25 years old, and I'm, girls, things are going to be different around here. We're going to start going to church. They're like, whoa, yeah, and they've been already going to a church. A friend of ours was picking up and uh, giving us a break every Sunday. We were like, yeah, come get them, amen, you know. God worked through that. I don't don't got time to do that, but I remember telling them, we're going to start going to church. You guys are going to get into this thing called Missionettes. It's called Girls Ministry now. I said, you guys are going to love it at Wednesday nights. You guys are going to go, and we went to church Sunday morning and Sunday nights in those days. We didn't make all the Sunday nights, but we tried. Hey, man, hey, I had to get up early, early for work, but we were there. I remember having that talk, though, and for the first time, I prayed over my food. I said, we're going to pray over our food, too. They were like, what? I said, I know, because the Bible says to give thanks over our food. And, I want and as a parent, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, Ezra, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I need- it started with me. It started with me to start to change. And so we begin to have that talk. I begin to pray and just one day at a time begin to follow for the Lord with all of my heart. And you know what? God just began to move in and step into our lives and begin to play and do his work that he did in our lives. But every revival starts with somebody. If you're here today, mom, dad, you could be a single mom. You could be a single dad. God used one woman named Lydia in the New Testament that started a church of Philippi. We have the book of the Bible, Philippians, because of one woman named uh, Lydia who just had a couple other women and they didn't even have a church. They met together for prayer down by the river. And because of her, Paul heard about it. Paul came to her, started the church. A demon-possessed girl was cast out. They were put into prison. They worshiped at midnight, and God shook the prison. And the jailer got saved, and a revival started. And we got the book of Philippians, all because of one woman. One woman, Carissa, that said, man, I don't know about all these other knuckleheads. I want God. I want God, and I don't even know how to serve God. I'm just going to meet by the river and pray and see what God is going to do. Ezra said, I didn't, Ezra didn't expect to the 14th generation that his great-great-great-great-granddaughter, Mary, would have an angel Gabriel appear to her and say, Mary, you have found grace and favor in the eyes of God. You are being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and you will carry Jehovah God's Messiah. Same angel appeared to, oh, uh, John the Baptist's dad. He was struggling. He believed, but he was, eh. He was saved, but maybe not all that saved. I'm not going to be too hard on it. But when an angel appeared and said the same thing to him about his wife being pregnant with John the Baptist, he was like, what you talking about, Willis? He was like, how is that going to happen? And Gabriel said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am Gabriel, for I stand in the presence of God. And I'm not used to anybody questioning anything that my God says. And because you doubted, your wife's going to give birth, but you ain't going to be able to speak until the boy is born. I'm out. 
The Bible is not boring. You're boring if you think the Bible's boring. It's amazing, these stories that are in there. But this was all because of one man. Great, 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 great grandfather, Ezra, who said, I want something different for my family. How many want something different from your, for your family today? You got the news, you got the TV. I know all year is, po- I can't wait till poli- politics are over, the election day's over. We have information, by the way, about Proposal 3, quick infomercial. It's at the uh, Welcome Center. We've been talking about it on Wednesday nights, but if you're not sure what that is yet or how to vote, we don't support any political candidate. I'm not a political guy. I am a kingdom guy. And Proposal 3 is a life issue, and so we, that sh- needs not to pass. So if you need, as Michiganders, those of you that are joining us outside of Michigan, you probably have same similar things on the ballot this year. This is important. So you want to go to the Welcome Center. If you haven't read up on Proposal 3, you need to do so. Hand it out, pray hard, and do our part. But regardless of what happens, for me and my house, we're going to serve God anyway. I'm an American citizen. I exercise my vote. Our veterans we honor today gives us that right, and that's why we say thank you. But I'm a kingdom man. At the end of the day, you're a kingdom man. I can sit down with people who disagree with me politically and still have a conversation and still love them. Because I was reminded by Brother Kavar, they are images and bearers of the image of God. So Ezra started it off by that. Number two, this is another thing we need to do to impact our children for the long term. Is that they involve their families in practicing their faith. Something you'll see in Ezra and Nehemiah that they got, they got their families involved in restoring worship to God. Let me tell you something. If you, if you want to really make a difference in our kids' lives, we have to involve them with these religious practices, the, the, our relationship with God. I love what Nehemiah said. He said, I, this is Nehemiah, I positioned the people, what? According to their families with their swords and their spears. Okay, he, was, he, was the, he was the work guy. And with their bows. So it was from that time that half worked construction while the other half held spears and wore armor. So this could be looked at the spiritual side and this, I've preached this before, I having a hammer in one hand and a Bible and all that. You gotta be practical and spiritual, that's great. But I just want you to see the point today that Ezra and Nehemiah didn't say, you know what, you kids, here's your little game boy. You go do what you're gonna do. Me and mama's gonna pray. Or, or, or I'm going to send my kid to church while me and mama enjoy a Sunday off or, or whatever. No, 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 listen. Involve our kids. If we want to impact them, we need to involve them in our spiritual walk with God. This is key. Because they're not going to do, our kids will not do what we tell them to do. They will become who we are. I could preach, and we can have the best preachers, the best singers, the best church with all the programs, and you can come to them, we can come to them, but really at the end of the day, our kids watch how we live at home, and they watch how we interact with them. They watch how we talk about people. We honor our leaders, but they watch if we talk about them. I'm just saying, they, they see that kind of stuff, and I grew up as a pastor's kid, and what turned me off was I hung out with some of the church kids, the deacon kids. And they didn't know while we're downstairs or outside. I heard sister so-and-so who was a Sunday school teacher bash my mom and my dad and talk about my mama like she was a dog. I remember being 14 years old and hearing people do that. It was a rough church. <laughs> Some of y'all, don't be that way. <laughs> mama said that was the tribulation. 
And, you know, my Lord, lock me. Listen, what they did, and I, didn't, I can't spend long on it, but the first thing Ezra did as a family is he rebuilt the altar. The Bible says that he did this before the foundation of the temple was even laid. That he got his kids together and he said, if you guys are going to make it to the 14th generation, there's one thing you got to learn to do. And it's not just learn the new songs. you got to learn how to meet with God at the altar. you got to learn how when things get tough, that you need to learn that there is something greater than you. There is a greater power, a higher power. And his name is not, he's not a tree or a good feeling. He is Jehovah God, the eternal God, the one that spoke everything into existence. He is God from Genesis to Revelation. He is God, a Jehovah God, our Lord, our creator. And he made a way for you and I to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. And at the altar is where we meet with him. But at the altar is also where we are vulnerable. And this is where we come before God and say, I don't have it all figured out. Like the scripture we read, Ezra done got all this money from Cyrus. He done got all these Jews to follow him out of Babylon. They're going back. And he's like, God has a plan and a purpose. I don't know what it is. That's exactly what I just read to you. So I love it. He didn't say, kids. You know, go over there. No, no, he's like, kids, come here. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to navigate through a global pandemic and then this division and hatred that we have in this sexual revolution on identity and all these issues that everywhere your kids turn around and my kids turn around and now my grandkid turns around, they're being bar- uh, just overwhelmed with values and morals that are opposite than what God has taught. And there comes a time when we can't be with our kids all the time, but you need to, that's why Ezra said, I can't be with you all the time. I can't be with you at school. I can't be with you in your circles. I can't be with you in your social media. I can tell you what to do, but at the end of the day, you got to live this life. And let me tell you what, you need to learn how to call on God. You need to learn how to get his perspective and to get his guidance and to get him involved in your life. Amen. Give God praise for that, all four of you. Hallelujah. An altar is a place where we meet with God. It's a place where we pray. It's a place where we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's also a place where we sacrifice. Parents, let our kids see how we sacrifice for the Lord. Let them see how we sacrifice our time, our talents, and our treasures. My kids knew from day one when we began to tithe. I showed them this is what tithing is. I give you allowance, it's a dollar. God wants a dime of that. Mama taught me that. I mean, that's just what it is. Oh, that's a whole dime, but you get to keep 90. What if God said, give me the 90 and you live on the 10? Some religions are like that. But God said, hey, I'm not going to make it law. You don't have to do it. But if you want to do it, you're going to see my blessing, and I'll overwhelm the socks off your financial blessing. Pastor Eddie's translation of Malachi 3. We'll include them. This ain't grown folk stuff. This ain't church stuff. No, no, no. Let them see our struggles. Let them see us having to depend on the Holy Spirit. Let them see our sacrifices. I mean, we, we sacrifice for our kids and have no problem letting them see how hard we work. I went to bed every night at 8 o'clock because I got up at 3.30. And I, I'm laying in that bed and it was broad daylight and hearing the kids out there on their big wheels. And mama would say, be quiet, daddy's, you know, he's working. He's providing for the home. I took some pride in that. And that's good. We have no problem showing how much we sacrifice and how hard we work for, to make that money at home. But I'm telling you, parents, you really want to impact to the 14th generation? 
Let him see how you travail and how you work and how you serve like Nehemiah did and how he worked and helped build the kingdom of God. Not just physically here. Joining the team, yeah, while I'm on it, I'm going to tell you, it won't hurt. We got many opportunities to serve. And in fact, next Sunday, we got growth track one and two on the same Sunday. So if you're new to the church and you want to get involved, Sunday it is. Next Sunday is a place to get involved. But it's deeper than that. Those of you that raised your hand, the last ones that we had, that we had in the building, I think was the fourth generation Christians. Remember you guys? I bet you probably 99%, if not all of you, would also tell me that that great-great-great-grandparent was involved in church. Were they not? There is something that is an, another... Bu- when we demonstrate to our kids that we got some skin in the game, they take it serious. More so than we just attend. And I'm just, I'm just being real with you today. This is exactly how we want to impact our kids. When they see that, man, this is what we do. And also when we get involved, you help take ownership of the kingdom. It does something for us, but it impacts our kids. Worship is also a place of the altar. Worship is something we need to do together as a family. My girls were teenagers. We took them to Christian concerts, man. We, we did worship together in Sunday services, but we also went and exposed them to, now back in the day, it was Barlow Girl and Rebecca St. James. We went to this Rebecca St. James concert. It was at a church that I won't say the denomination. I don't know who booked her, but the church was not down for it. it must have been the youth pastor. <laughs> and I brought my daughters, and we were like, my, and Felicia loved Rebecca St. James. Remember her? She's the brother of the, the, the sister of the, what's the boy's name? King and country. How many know what king and country? They got a big sister that started it all. I'm just telling you right now, it was Rebecca St. James. And we went, and we were like, yeah, my girls were pumped. And everybody sat down during the concert. She come out with the lights and everything, and she was like, and everybody was like, me and Melinda and us four, we were like, woo, yeah. And I was looking around. I'm thinking, why did you even have her come, you bunch of religious people? I started praying for her. Lord, imagine her up there traveling to these churches. I was like, hey, we got a Pentecostal church, Rebecca. Come to our church in Jesus' name. We're going to bring it up. But we, we would take them to that. I mean, you got, you got people talking, you know, buying CDs and taking our kids to all these other secular concerts. And listen, man, take them to get them exposed to worship. You want to impact them. Let them see how awesome the kingdom of God is. And that's my last point. That's the one I wanted to spend the longest time on. Is this is what God's really been showing me here lately. I've been hearing it everywhere I go. And Ezra and Nehemiah did a fascinating job with this. Number three, they believed what they were for was greater than what they were against. Oh, I think the church struggles with this. We don't do a good job. We let our kids know right off the bat what we're against, but we're not telling them enough what we're for. Ezra and Nehemiah did this beautifully. Jesus did this beautifully. Jesus always said the kingdom of God is like, and he would describe something beautiful like a wedding. Something valuable like a pearl with great price. Like buried treasure in a field that when someone discovered it, they went and sold all that they had to buy that treasure. Jesus said that's how it is, serving God. It's a good thing. And Ezra and Nehemiah did a great job with explaining that to their families that, listen, we serve a good God. And and we're not down with the Babylonian culture. 
We are just passing through the Babylonian culture. Those friends and those values and morals that we hear in society, Ezra was like, listen, I know you've been exposed to that, and you got everybody following you on TikTok, and you're all down with all those social medias, but I'm telling you what, there is, there's a better life that we're going to go and build in Jerusalem, and it's a temple of our almighty God. It, it's a better life. We are for more things than we are against. And they bought it. Because I realized that people will fight harder and they will be more loyal to things that they love rather than things that they fear. And we, have a, we do a good job as parents. Just, we don't believe in that. You see the political ads. This is what this, if you vote this person, the world's going to end tomorrow. That the whole political ads is what everybody is against. How about we talk about what we're for? It's a better life, man, serving God. It's a wonderful life. It is the best life ever, ever, is, is walking with God. I liken it too, now that I'm a poppy, I'm kind of having to brush up on my old cartoons. The gospel-centered cartoon, Monsters, Inc., is the best. You remember that cartoon? The, the, the whole world was operating off the little canisters that contained the screams of children. Well, that's a dark cartoon. I didn't realize how dark that cartoon was. <laughs> the big blue guy, Sully, you know, and the little eyeball would scare kids, and, woo, yeah, and the whole country was fueled on the fear of children. Okay, anyway, so here's the point. And then they realized, Nehemiah, little green-eyed guy and big Sully realized that there's something more powerful than the scare and the fears, and that was the laughter of the children. You remember that? And the whole movie is based on that principle. And so once they discovered that laughter is better and more effective than screams of terror, they changed it around. Come on, that's an anointing of God to make a Monster Zinc sound like a gospel message today. <laughs> Same thing with Jesus. Jesus said, hey, yeah, fear and honor God. But listen, if I can get you to love God, I'll get you to live for God. If I can get you to love God, I'll get you to live for God. I don't want you to just walk around afraid if you sneeze. I want you to know that God is a good God. He's a good, good father. He's going to take care of you. And you're coming in and you're going out. He's going to bless you. He can heal you. He can set you free. He's a good father. He's a good God. And this is why we serve him. And they bought it. You know what they did? They married pagan wives in Jerusalem, the ones that didn't get captured by the Babylonians. So when Ezra and Nehemiah showed up, they thought they had a remnant there of devouted Christians that's going to help them. They weren't. They were shocked when they got there. These Christians done compromised. They don't had pagan wives. And Ezra fell to his knees and said, God, what, is it, what am I going to do? And he began to stand up and say, listen, our God is greater. He is greater. He is, if we would just turn to him with all of our, and the people bought it so much so that they divorced the pagan wives. It's in your Bible. And said, we're going to follow God. What were they saying? We want the better life, no matter the cost. Jesus with the woman at the well said, honey, what I got is living water. Come on. Woo! Get me going on a woman at the well. 
He said, I got living water. You've been looking. You've been going to this well, that well, this nightclub, that website, this relationship, that this, that job, that money's over here. You've been going to this thing trying to be satisfied with only something that I can satisfy you with because I designed you and created you with a unique emptiness in your heart that only my love can fill. So you can try to fill it with a block when it's a circle. You know what I mean? You can try to fill it with drugs. You can try to fill it with that. And there's pleasure in sin for a season. But sooner or later, you're going to be empty. You're going to be depressed. You're going to lose your hope. You're going to be losing your ever-loving mind. And that's when I step in with that living water for you. I got what you need. I got what you need. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I know you have five husbands and you're shacking up with number six, but you know what? I love you anyway. I'm still going to offer you the water. Come with me. We're going to deal with your husband in just a minute. But right now, I want you to know how good I am because if I can convince you how good I am, you're going to tell that man when you get back. You're going to take care of him. Been dating me for three years and you ain't put a ring on it, bro. What's up? You're going to handle that, but you ain't going to handle it unless you see how good God is yourself. I can tell you what Hebrews tells you. I can tell you what, I can get tables with idols and break them. It's so unsparing. But the only way that we're really going to change and see revival is if we do what Ezra and Nehemiah did. And they said, God, I'm going to get down at the altar before God and say, God, I want you more than anything. I want your blessing on my children. I don't want the world to corrupt them. I want them to walk with you, oh God. Woo! Hallelujah. Making me hot and sweating up in here. Jesus loves it. God's ways are better. The things of God are greater. The things of God are greater. And we get, we get all religious. We let that, we look at this. See, when we look at the law only and, and, and the rules only, it blinds us from the goodness of God. Last thing, and I'm going to move out your way. This is what the devil did to Adam and Eve. God said, you can eat of any fruit. And in those days, it's estimated to be, I think, over 300 and something fruit trees was on the earth. So they had over 300 fruit trees that they could eat, figs and all that stuff. And the devil came and said, look at that one thing that you can't do if you become a Christian. Oh, this is good preaching right here. This has set you free right here. The devil said, look at the one thing that God said you can't. He don't want you to have no fun. Eve should have been like, what you talking about, Willis? God done gave me apple trees and pear trees and mango trees. And that's all I know. <laughs> Cherry tree. Oh, a... But what she did, she began to go, yeah, you're right. If I become a Christian, I won't be able to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And the devil began to plant a seed in her mind that God ain't all that good. Ooh, we're going to expose the devil. See, revival exposes the devil. He's already lying and defeated. And he, can't, he can't do anything to us. It's like he can't push you off a cliff, but he can convince you to jump. And that's what he's trying to do, and he's getting our families left and right. 
I'm here to serve notice to him today in the name of Jesus, no more. For me and my house and my baby and my grandbaby and my great, great, great grandbaby, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to keep our eyes on the fruit tree. We're going to see how good God is. We're going to follow the goodness of the Lord. We're going to say, for me and my, we're going to serve him. We're going to serve you, God. I believe in you. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in and God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of His presence, His promises, and all people. And you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.